Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am RJ Young, your host. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever it is that you get your podcast. Today... We're going to talk about Arch Manning and the effect he has had on Texas football recruiting. We're going to discuss five questions I have for media days ahead of media days beginning in July. We'll hit Big 12, we'll hit Big 10, we'll hit Pac-12, and I'm sure we'll have lots to discuss in the middle of that. And we have another edition of our favorite feature this summer, Diamond in the Rough, where I'm going to discuss just what Brian Hartline has done at Ohio State and introduce you to the next, I think, rising star among assistant coaches. But first, let's talk about Arch Manning. So those of you that subscribe to the YouTube channel or follow the number one ranked show on the social channels know that I had things to say last Thursday when the number one overall recruit in the class of 2023, and quite frankly, the best recruit that Texas has landed since Vince Young, Arch Manning, decided to commit to Texas. This is at the end of a three-tour visit where he went to Georgia, Alabama, and Texas, and we discussed each one of those landing spots, and I wrote about each one of those landing spots, and I was only bullish on the University of Texas. The University of Texas, I said, had all the things that an Arch Manning would want and need out of the three schools that he was still discussing. At that time, there was still some discussion about whether or not Florida might enter the mix or even Ole Miss or Tennessee because there are ties to both of those schools, more Ole Miss than Tennessee, but Arch went ahead and pulled the trigger on Texas. And since then, we have seen a handful, more than a handful, because that's five, recruits decide that they too want to commit to Texas. This is something that I had said. Look, there were a lot of players that were looking at Arch Manning, waiting to see where he goes to decide where they would go. A lot of folks laughed at me for that. And since then, six days ago when we're recording this, a week ago when you're seeing this, Eight recruits have committed to the University of Texas, okay? So when Arch Manning committed to the University of Texas, the Longhorns were ranked number 19 in the country. They are now ranked number three in the country. Number one is Ohio State, who continues to recruit like an SEC school. Number two is Notre Dame. The Marcus Freeman effect is in full effect. And, of course, then there's Texas. So I'm really interested to see what this means for Texas, not just in 2023 when we know that Arch Manning is going to get to Texas, but also 2025 by the time that they decide to enter into the SEC. Maybe sooner. We'll see how that goes. But Arch would be a junior or redshirt sophomore by the time they get to Texas and in a very good position to lead the Longhorns into their first season of SEC play. Other thing I thought was really interesting about all this is what does it mean for 2022, which we'll discuss here in quite a bit of detail. But the question that follows that one for me is what does Arch commit? What does Arch's commitment mean for Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy, Hudson Card, three quarterbacks that are on campus right now vying for the starting job? And uh, not to put too fine a point on this, but not a damn thing. It really doesn't matter. Like one of the stupid opinions that I thought came out of Arch Manning's commitment and what we all thought was Quinn Ewers must be thinking about transferring now. For what? Why? For for who? To where? What does he have to fear from Arch Manning? My goodness, guys. All right. So for those of you that don't know, Quinn Ewers was the commit that Arch Manning is today. They're one-to-one. When Quinn Ewers committed to Ohio State, he was the number one player in the class 2022 and had a perfect 1.00 rating from 247 Sports is composite. He since transferred from Ohio State after reclassifying to Texas, where I expect him to be the starting quarterback, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But my goodness, that dude is going into year two of playing college football. Okay? He plays well this year. He plays well next year. He'll go into the NFL draft. 
well before Arms Manning even has a chance to compete with him. Why are we doing this? It's like people don't know how to do math all of a sudden. That just, I, I don't know what to do with that opinion about Quinn Ewers must be thinking about transferring again. Nah, man. Quinn Ewers is where many folks thought he should have begun his college football career to begin with. Coming from South Lake Carroll, where the Dragons are good, where he was good. Wanted to go, like his, I think his parents are Texas alumni, uh, alumni as well. End up over there. But one of the reasons that he ended up Ohio State is because Texas, and which is a wild law, considering that Texas is a business state, decided that it did not want to allow high school football players to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And Quinn Ewers was staring at a deal that comes to about a million dollars if he signs his name and is playing college football. Ohio State was the place he committed. He said, can I reclassify and come there already? And they said, sure. Brought him in there. So now you got a dude that has never thrown a pass in college who basically got to put a million dollars in his pocket only to transfer back home to Texas where I expect him to be the starting quarterback at the University of Texas when they start the season. But we'll see how that goes. Now, what does it actually do for Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy, and Hudson Card? In the case of Malik Murphy and Quinn Ewers more than Hudson Card, though, it allowed for you to raise the price. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Yesterday's price is not today's price. They're certified. They're certified because Arch Manning is coming behind them, which is to say that if Quinn Ewers or Malik Murphy, for that matter, or even Hudson Card, can somehow engineer the kind of run that I think Texas is poised for, they're going to make a lot of money. Because unlike one Arch Manning, they are not against making money on their name, image, and likeness, all right? They're at Austin. They're at the flagship for the University of Texas systems. They are in line to make a ton of money if they want to. Think about what Sam Ellinger meant to the University of Texas, and the best he could do for them was win the Rose Bowl with four losses. People love Sam Ellinger. Do you know how much they would love Quinn Ewers or Malik Murphy or Hudson Card if they were able to get them a Big 12 championship, let alone into the college football playoff and a national championship? Yes. Again, Fat Joe is a spirit animal for these dudes and their marketing agents. By the way, dudes got marketing agents before they got actual sports agents. Okay? This is kind of wild to me because I get some calls every now and again from marketing agents going, Hey, can you tell me about XYZ player? Because I'm thinking about adding him to our stable for a guy that I think we can make some deals for. That's happening all over the sport. It's one of the reasons why I was confident last week when I told y'all there's going to be a run on commitments to Texas. And Texas is going to get to say which one of those guys they want to take based on what Arch has told them and how good they can be. A lot of people scoffed. I was right. I'm still going to be right later on in the week as I understand this is still ongoing as Arch is very much recruiting dudes that he wants to play with to the Longhorns. Okay, next question I have with this is, can Steve Sarkeesian and A.J. Milwee, quarterbacks coach, keep everybody? That would be Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy, Hudson Card. Probably not, but that doesn't make them any different than any other place in college football today. I mean, think about the moving and shaking we had at the quarterback position just this year, Ewers to Texas, Caleb Williams from Oklahoma to USC, Jackson Dart from USC to Ole Miss, Keaton Slovis from USC to Pittsburgh. Like, we can keep going down the line here, okay? As a matter of fact, 2017, 2018, 2019, the dudes that won the Heisman Trophy were transfer quarterbacks, okay? Think about that. We're talking about Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and, of course, Joe Burrow. Bryce Young won the 20, uh, 2021 one, right, because that dude – is actually elite at a place that, well, turns out elite guys. Like, it is an NFL factory down down in Tuscaloosa. Also leads me back to this point that I want to make about the Heisman Trophy, which is that it usually does not go to the best player in college football. I know that I'm saying something there, but 2019, I'm looking at Chase Young going, okay, that's the best player in college football, but he's not going to win the Heisman because he plays edge. That's it. Like, Will Anderson might be the best player in college football in 2022, but he ain't going to win the Heisman Trophy because they don't like giving it to dudes that play defense exclusively. You got to be Charles Woodson. You have to be a legend. You have to be the kind of dude that ends up in not just the College Football Hall of Fame, but the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know this because I saw him 
or I should saw his likeness all over the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Because he's that dude. That's what you got to be if you're playing defense, all right? I mean, Chase would have had to have, what, 16 touchdowns and, like, 48 catches to go along with his 22 sacks or something? Like, it's ridiculous, man. So I don't think they're going to be able to, uh, to keep all of these quarterbacks. Malik Murphy seems like the guy to bet on to be out the door because it just ain't fitting for him. Like, Hudson's there. He outlasted Casey Thompson who went to Nebraska, and he's going to be on his way out. And Malik's looking up at Quinn Ewers for the next couple of years unless something happens to Quinn Ewers. I don't think anything's going to happen to Quinn Ewers, and I never wish for anything to happen to players. But it feels like he could end up somewhere near the West Coast by the end of the day. And there's lots of places not named USC to go play football. I'd love to see what a Malik Murphy could do at, say, Arizona or even Cal, for that matter. Right? I can keep throwing names at you and throwing places where I think people fit. But, you know, I have a tendency to be right when I do that. So I'm going to pump the brakes on this because I'm, I'm hot right now. I'm hot. All right. So will Texas be SEC ready by 2025? Um, yes, yes, they will. You know why they will be? Because Vanderbilt is SEC ready. Okay? Tennessee been SEC ready for 15 years. Nothing to show for it. All right? Mississippi State been SEC ready for 30 years. Arkansas, 30 years. Like, I don't want to keep dunking on people, but the mere fact is they're going to be in the SEC. So whether they SEC ready or not, they're in it. Now, that said, Texas can recruit, man, and they are recruiting their behinds off, all right? Like, they go from 19 to 3 on the strength of Arch Manning committing. But, again, you got to follow through on that because I would be the same person dunking on Texas for not following through on that because you got to turn a win into more wins. And that's essentially what Texas is going to attempt to do in 2022. As a matter of fact, Steve Sarkeesian is beginning to look at the recruiting calendar the way that I've looked at the recruiting calendar for the last five years. Which is to say, you do a lot of your winning, not in December, in January, or even November, but June. You do a lot of your winning time getting your quarterback to commit the June before he's supposed to be the guy signing. And even if you can't, you want to go two years ahead. You want to be two years ahead and your quarterback commits. Because who you get to commit to play quarterback says a lot about how you're going to end up in the recruiting rankings. This is why we see such trends, okay? If you got the best quarterback in a class, you're probably going to have one of the five best classes in all of college football. That's why we put such an emphasis on it. That's why I'm always talking to you about five stars matter. Stars matter. How many you get into the boat matters. Whether or not they turn out to be first-round draft picks, that's something else entirely. What you want to do is give yourself a high floor. I'm saying this as a person who... Earned Eagle Scout at 14 years old because I wanted a high floor. I knew that if I got to Eagle, I give myself the best opportunity to succeed in life. If you get a five-star quarterback in the boat, you give yourself a great opportunity to win a national championship. Doesn't guarantee it, but it raises the floor. And I'm all about raising the floor, especially as, I mean, I'm a goddad and a stepdad. Like, I, I wear button-downs now. Like, I, I just... I'm not about the friction anymore. You know what I mean? I am calming down. This this is what that looks like. Calming down. Raise the floor. Let's not make this any more harder than it has to be because it's already hard as hell. You know, think about Alabama, for instance. This is a team that we thought could win the 2021 National Championship and felt loaded to win it. Okay? So much so that when they got shocked by Texas A&M at Kyle Field, we're like, all right, they can still win it, though. You know, and then they get to the SEC championship. They get a W over Georgia, Georgia being the most dominant team in college football till that time. And then you get Georgia back into the national championship game against Alabama. And, and what do you get? You get Alabama blowing an 18 to 14 lead in the fourth quarter. It's really hard to win national championships, even when you have the best team. So why not try to give yourself the best opportunity from the jump to win a national championship and to be SEC ready? By going and getting a guy that is one of the sainted first family of football and the best player in his class and a quarterback. I'm telling y'all, man, it could be kind of crucial, kind of live down there on the 40 acres. And I'm saying that as a dude that roots for Oklahoma. All right. It's also let me just go ahead and wipe that out the place. When I say I'm excited about Ohio State, Texas or 
Oregon or Auburn or Clemson or Florida State or whomever. Tennessee, my goodness. Arkansas, I am. That's what I like doing. I like leaning into the stuff that is fun. I like leaning into the stuff that gives us hope and really makes this sport worth talking about. Okay? OU fans, chill out. We, we still folk. We still can't folk. I'm going to say nice things about, quote, unquote, the enemy from time to time. Let it go. It's fine. All right? This is my job, and it's what I love to do, talking ball, talking college football. Everybody knows where I'm from and where I went to school. All right. Now, I want to go from that quickly to a shout-out to Skip Johnson and Cade Horton in Oklahoma for how they showed up in the Men's College World Series. I know we don't do much baseball at all on this here show, but I was very excited to see Cade Horton do what I thought he could do. Said Saturday night, Cade Horton, going to be a superhero on Sunday. Man had 13 strikeouts in seven and a third. Just because I'm not talking about it doesn't mean I'm not watching it, y'all. Come on now. First ball was the first love for me. I'm a catcher. All right. From that to the five questions I want answered at Media Days. Okay. First question. Is the Big 12 back? So where this comes from is do players and coaches think Texas has to beat Alabama in September on September 10th on Big Noon on Fox? to be taken seriously by the CFP Selection Committee in 2022. To which my answer is, it couldn't hurt none. Like, wins are good. I'm the guy that say winning should matter. Clearly, I've been overruled by you and the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, so that's probably going to reflect how I talk about the sport from here on out because y'all don't give a damn that Oregon beat Ohio State at Columbus. I got dunked on for that mercilessly and still do. So, does Alabama... Need to catch an L on 40 acres for people to take the Big 12 seriously. Again, it couldn't hurt none. I would also say the winner of the Big 12 championship gets to say either we beat Bama or we beat the team that beat Bama. And that is a strong position to be in when the college football playoff selection committee is comparing resumes, especially if you're Texas, because Oklahoma doesn't help you anymore. Oklahoma went and ruined that on Oklahoma's terms, all right? So people that already didn't want Oklahoma to get back into the college football playoff because, frankly, we get blown out every time we get there. And OU fans were over it, so much so that when OU didn't make the college football playoff in 2020, everybody's like, cool, we're going to win a bowl game now. And OU is 2-0 and in bowl games since not making the college football playoff. It's weird, but that's how it works, all right? You're also talking about I think a Texas team that could be good. Now, they're young, and they're going to be young. But I think they're very talented. And I think because they're very talented, they might be able to overcome being young in the beginning. But that Alabama team is going to be seasoned, right? It's not just that Bryce Young is returning. It's also that Will Anderson is returning. That, my goodness, Brian Branch, uh, goodness me. You got dudes all over that defense that could play. Henry Toto is coming back. You also got... A tailback in Jameer Gibbs who's transferring in. You got a wide receiver in Jermaine Burton who decided that he doesn't want to play for the defending national champion, Georgia. He wants to go play for the team that they beat in Alabama, which is going over not unlike Kevin Durant going from Oklahoma City to Golden State, but how did that end up for Golden State? It's not going to be an easy win, no matter if you're going to have that, that game sold out, and it is. Like, they've already sold out tickets to that game. It's a huge deal for Texas and for the Big 12, and as far as what does this conference mean, especially as you're going into a transition period, right? So, again, this is complicated from where I'm standing where I want to ask this question to coaches and players because you're rooting for a team, or you would be if you say Texas needs to beat Alabama, that is leaving you. They are leaving you for another marriage, okay? They've already filed divorce papers, and you're saying that, yeah, I need them to look good on the way out. That's what I would need. I don't know if there are enough players and coaches in this conference right now that need that because some of y'all are petty. Some of y'all don't see a business decision as a business decision. Some of y'all only see passion, and I get that. But I would really love to know the answer to that question as you're getting ready for a Cincinnati, a Houston, and a Central Florida to join up. Now, Central Florida also looking like a problem, right? Landed Demarcus Bowman, a five-star running back, who I think could be the best player in the American this year. He's that good, guys. You're going to hear me talk about DeMarcus Bowman quite a bit, especially if Malzahn ends up turning into a winner down there. Houston was a 12-win team last year, right? I'm getting ahead of myself, but 
yes, I think that it couldn't hurt none, and I think that Texas beating Alabama only helps the Big 12. Only helps the Big 12. Can't can't hurt the Big 12. So I, I, I would make that distinction. We'll see what the coaches and players have to say when we go to Big 12 media days in July. Okay, next one. Addition by addition, maybe, right? How do the remaining Big 12 teams feel about OU and Texas even a year later, the additions of Houston, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and BYU, right? So let me let me draw this out once again. OU, Texas are leaving, okay? That's two national championships in the past 20 years. One for Oklahoma in 2000, one for Texas in 2005. One trip to the national championship since 2009, okay? Now, there's a Texas-Christian-Baylor part of this that gets into the college football playoff that we don't really need to discuss, but them's the facts, right? OU and Texas, they have been carrying the conference, Oklahoma, way more than Texas over the past 20 years. Since the Big 12's inception, quite honestly, since 1995, I mean, it was a little bit of, of Nebraska in there, but not a lot. And then with Frank Solis being gone, Nebraska decided that they only wanted to play in 2009, you know? And ain't, ain't really been much to write home about since they joined the Big Ten. Now, Houston is a 12-win team last year. I think they won the Birmingham Bowl against Auburn. That's not shabby at all. That's pretty doggone good. Cincinnati, first group of five team to make the college football playoff and, quite frankly, made the college football playoff. Central Florida, who I think still has a claim to the 2017 national championship. That'll never go away. That's theirs. And then you have the de facto Pac-12 champion, BYU. BYU is not a team that I want to schedule. I don't, I don't get anything out of beating BYU. I only catch L's from the L I'm already going to take from BYU, right? Because Brigham Young plays basically a Mountain West schedule but is an independent. Not for nothing, but outside of Fresno State, Wyoming, San Diego State this year, Utah State this year, Boise State, it's just those names, beating those teams don't move the needle for teams that are voting for the college football playoff, or quite frankly, AP top 25 when you get to the top 10. They just don't care. It doesn't matter that Kalani Sataki has been turning out talent out there and that they're going to just absolutely sun everybody that they play for the most part. It's that they're Brigham Young and they don't play anybody. That changes when they get to the Big 12. I don't think that you're getting better by adding those four teams when you lose OU in Texas because OU in Texas means so much to the sport, right? Oklahoma in his 47-game win streak, Barry Switzer, Bud Wilkinson, Bob Stoops, right? Jamel Holloway. I keep going. Billy Sims, Adrian Peterson, Sam Bradford. Texas, Vince Young. For some people, the greatest college football player of all time. Ricky Williams, for some people, the greatest running back of all time. But then Eric uh, Earl Campbell would have something to say about that. And then you can add Cedric Benson to the mix if that's what you want to do, okay? I don't think you get better, but I don't think it doesn't. I mean, you could do a lot worse than adding those four teams because those four teams have been very good over the past five years, and they are making strides to get better. So how do Big 12 teams feel about the addition of those teams? I'm sure we're all going to hear positive things about those teams joining the Big 12, but I'd be here to see what Texas Christian thinks about one Texas team leaving and adding another, uh, another Texas team. Same thing with Texas Tech, same thing with Baylor. Maybe they're like, fine, whatever. It's, it is what it is. But Cincinnati also is looking at this group of teams and going like, no, nah, we could run this like we run the American, right? Central Florida is looking at this like, oh, yeah, we belong. Some of y'all might think something else about that. Bounce House is going to be a lot of fun for the Big 12, by the way. I'm looking forward to y'all going down there. Like, I went down there as a university Tulsa cheerleader one time, and not only did I get catch two middle fingers – from a little girl on her daddy's shoulders wearing a UCF cheerleading outfit. Two du double-barreled. But I got to hear that group of folks at Florida's largest university, I think one of the largest universities in the country, stomping their feet on aluminum. As, yeah, Blake Bortle and company went at the University of Tulsa. One of my favorite games to be at, quite honestly. It was really cool. Next question I had is, Who's the starter? So who brings a quarterback to Big 12 media days? So as a person that covers the sport, talks to players, talks to coaches, has a lot to say about who's doing what, I always get a little bit annoyed 
when players or sorry, players, when coaches decide not to bring the players that they know we want to discuss things with and we want to hear say stuff. One of those people is always going to be the quarterback. Okay? If you got a quarterback derby that's ongoing, cool. We understand. You don't want to have somebody thinking that they have the job by getting to show up and talk nice about the program at media days. I get that. However, whoever your quarterback is, one of those three dudes, is going to be the starter. Okay? Bring one. As a matter of fact, be the coach that brings just three quarterbacks. Bring all three. That way, you make sure that all of the coverage is about y'all bringing three people that are vying for the same job. Now, I get how that might not work in a locker room, but again, quarterback is a singular position, an important position. Everybody understands that. As Jimmy Johnson once said, I'm going to treat you all fairly. I'm not going to treat you all the same. Quarterbacks don't get treated the same, right? Talk about just what that means in lots of ways, but one of the ways is quarterback get coddled. I mean, that's the nature of the game, right? Like, they don't even get hit in practice. That's why when you see dudes get to go back to conferences and or divisions in the NFL where they get to go hit the dude that they never got to hit practice, they're always talking about it. Uh, shout out to the Raiders. Khalil Mack, he wants y'all. Good luck with that. All right, so that also means for me, if you bring a quarterback, you expect to be good. Okay? If you bring a quarterback, you expect to be good. That's what you're signaling. You are telling us, without telling us, hey, we expect to go and hand out more W's than L's. Like, we're going to hand out these L's, take these W's. Okay? That's what we are expecting here. I like to see swag at media days. I like it when dudes get dressed up, they wear the suits, they drum dress the nines, they have lots to say, they have a lot of stories to tell us, and they feel good about the schedule, mostly the people in their conference. Show that to me. Okay? Show that to all of us. So if you bring a starter, you expect to be good. I always expect more starters or more quarterbacks to show up than do, and I should probably stop expecting quarterbacks to show up. But that's what that means, right? Who's going to bring a starter? Who's going to bring a quarterback? You bring me a quarterback. I know you got the starter. I also know you expect to be good. Okay. Next, it's not a question, right, so much as it is a statement. What's the vibe, right? The the vibe check, you know? Y'all into vibes. I'm not a dude that's into vibes. I'm not a dude that's into saying we vibing anymore because everybody's saying we vibing or is or I'm about vibes. Like Draymond Green is a vibe guy, okay? I don't count on Draymond Green to lock down anybody. I don't count on Draymond Green to hit shots. I count on Draymond Green to be that dude that we get to play four on five. But Draymond Green is a vibe, okay? He is unassailable as an NBA basketball player, okay? Just like Charles Barkley is a vibe. I want to know what the vibe is going to be around Pac-12 programs discussing the addition of Lincoln Riley to USC, okay? He might not have picked USC because it represents uh, a market inefficiency, but that's how it reads. If Riley gets USC to the college football playoff before the 11 other members of the Pac-12 do, that is how it will be cast. That is how it will be written in stone. That will go down in history as, Lincoln Riley, one, choosing to leave Oklahoma, he claims because he does not want, you know, no truck, it's not because I'm afraid of the SEC, it's because I wanted to be at USC. I'm inclined to take that, right? Cool, I understand. You want to be where you want to be. However, how do those folks feel about you deciding to move in, okay? Do they view you as Chris Rock on the block, or does Chris Rock on the block view you as the dentist, Okay? That's what I want to know. I want to check around. See, not so much what people think about, you know, is Cal going to be good this year, right? Or is Stanford going to come back this year? Or are you afraid of UCLA and what Chip has been building toward? I want to know how you feel about Lincoln Riley seeing that, you know, there's a little bit of crime in your neighborhood and he's decided to move in there because land is cheap. And he feels like he could be the dude to overhaul your neighborhood as you've been living there for however long. I'm excited about that, especially in a conference that has done away with divisions. Hello? It's a free-for-all over there in the Pac-12. I'm really excited to see how this goes. We know all about what Lincoln Riley thinks about USC and what he thinks about his decision to go there. 
we haven't heard him talk a lot about the other players and coaches he's going to play against in that conference either. Like Alex Grinch will have some stuff to say, but Alex Grinch was playing, you know, defense uh, defense coordinator at Washington State. That's that was his role. Washington State is not USC, as every USC fan will tell you. Now, I also think that it's kind of funny that USC fans immediately expect to be good. Some of them are less delusional. They you know they understand that last year's team was four and eight. They might be a bowl eligible team this year, and then next year. They expect to be good, but I'm looking at that roster, and I'm going, no, 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 demand excellence from this man who went and got Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, right, Mario Williams, still has Corey Foreman. Like, you got dudes over there. Now, I have my reservations about the offensive line. Not that it can't be good, but because it's, but it, that it's slim. Like, if you lose a body, they ain't but so many bodies, okay? I don't care how good an offensive line coach you are. You can't coach nobody that can't play. It's a thing. So I'm going to be checking on the vibe when we get to Pac-12 Media Days to see how things are smoothing out or not smoothing out. Particularly in Utah, where they defended Pac-12 champs, where they gave Ohio State everything they wanted, and where they're going, oh, you moved into our block? On our side of the street? What used to be the Pac-12 South Division? And you decided that this was the place where you thought you could build the mecca of college football? In our face? Cool, cool. We'll see you in Salt Lake City. We will see y'all a little bit later on. I don't know if you remember this, but I beat Nick Saban in 2008 as the head coach of Utah, and I went undefeated, and they still didn't want to give me no national championship. That would be my my feeling if I'm Kyle Whittingham. Maybe I don't know that he rose like that, but I wouldn't begrudge him if he rose like that. Okay? Okay. Last question I have on the Media Days questions front. What's the biggest off-the-field issue that – players and coaches want to discuss. Is it an administrative issue along the lines of scholarship limits, the transfer portal, removing divisions in the conference, or is it still name, image, and likeness? The reason I put scholarship limits in here is because something has kind of dawned on me. If Maybe it's just kind of been working its way toward the front of my mind. Basically, since everybody got the COVID year mulligan in 2020, I got to take a look at just how many dudes play college football. At the Division I level, FBS level, it's 11,000 players in a given year. That number ballooned to 12,000 plus in 2021. I'm also covering the USFL, as many of you know. And one of the things that I have to say didn't surprise me, but one I have to lay out for most people that are not familiar with the USFL, is that every one of these dudes can play. And I don't mean that's my eyes. I mean, they got CVs that are ridiculous, like, the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Stars was the backup quarterback to start the season. He also won the Jerry Rice Award for the best freshman in FCS at Northern Arizona. Okay. Best linebacker for the Philadelphia Stars is a man named Jordan Moore. Jordan Moore not only leads that team in tackles, but Jordan Moore won the Big 12 championship indoor and outdoor in the hurdles, the 60 and the 110. Then transferred to LSU where he thought was going to be play, able to play football. Wasn't able to play football. LSU track coach says, do you want to run track? He says, sure. Wins the SEC indoor and outdoor hurdles championships. He's an All-American. He won four conference titles in two different conferences. And he wanted to play football at UTSA. I'm telling you, you throw a rock, you will hit a great football player. In some of these states, that's all we do. California, Georgia, Texas, Florida. Ohio, all we do is make great football players. Why are we still limiting the number of scholarships to 85? Well, there's Title IX reasons for that, right? I also think that it's wild uh, that more people don't understand that Title IX was not made law to make sports more equal. It was to make life more equal. Like life itself, working job to job. The gender gap, wage gap, is huge. It's massive. We're just now talking about a dominant U.S. women's national team. More dominant than most other teams, period. Finally getting to pay, getting the pay that the men's are getting. I mean, let me back it up because I'm getting loud for no reason. They're finally getting paid the same amount as a men's team that did not make the World Cup. You have a team that beat the hell out of everybody they played. And a team that can't even make a tournament of 32. Okay. 
I think that if you increase the number of scholarships football, you got to increase the number of scholarships everywhere. Okay. And then we got revenue generating and those sorts of things. But I'm also looking at this going, yeah, we find the money for the things we want. So I like having more and better football. And that means more bodies. I also like watching and having more athletes everywhere. And as long as y'all want to cling to this model of how come kids are getting paid, cool. Put your money where your mouth is and put that money in the scholarships. The wrestling scholarships at Oklahoma State are endowed. Think about that for a second. What happens when we get to a place where the scholarships for football are endowed? Because there's enough money to go around. Cool. Spread that out. I would like to see the women's soccer team, the softball team, tennis teams, gymnastics get a little bit better and have more places for people to do what y'all all say y'all want people to do. Get an education. Okay? I also think that it's kind of overblown what the transfer portal is, but they're already trying to push through a transfer portal like deadline and or dead period. Some of that makes sense to me, I understand, because coaches want to know what they have and what they don't have. I'd also say that there's some antitrust stuff there that I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to get too deep into, but if a coach can move anytime they want to move, why shouldn't a player be able to move anytime they want to move? Well, RJ, a coach is not going to quit his job or take another job in August. No, because there are no openings in August. There are always openings for players. We always have openings for labor. We do not always have openings for management. That's why management gets paid. Okay? But I'm also going to make this point. I watched Lance Leipold take a job in May. Coaching just fine. Gave Oklahoma the business and beat the brakes off of of Texas in Austin. I just don't see why that's a problem. I'm also here for the movement. A, it makes my job much more fun because I like it when players move around. I like following stories like Jackson Dart, knowing he's going to go to Ole Miss and or waiting on Caleb Williams to do what he's going to do, which knowing me going to USC and waiting on Jordan Addison, who went into the portal but under USC and then decided that, hey, I should probably play this out so it doesn't look like I'm just you know being recruited into the portal and out to USC. And I like knowing that Pat Narduzzi called up Lincoln Riley to give him his feelings on the matter. That's fun. I also like that we are restrict or we're not restricting the access that these players have to go and try to have a better time playing college football. When I talk to recruits, and this is how I get back to like the Texas part where I knew that there were a bunch of players that were waiting on Arch to do what he's doing because they're going to follow him. They'll ask me straight up, do I have an opportunity to play X position? Or do I have an opportunity to play for a championship? Or do I have an opportunity to make a good deal of money? And I'll answer those questions. But the thing I always want to stress to them is go where you're going to have a good time. Okay, if that place is Ohio and not Ohio State, that's okay. Be Tyler Tettleton, who's a folk hero for the Bobcats. Outstanding player coming out of Norman, Oklahoma. Okay, not every blue blood is fit for you. Where you might be one of the guys, you can go somewhere else and be their guy. Go to the place where you can be their guy, right? All right, Uh, last thing I thought was interesting in there was the removing of divisions and conferences. The ACC announced on Tuesday, when we're recording this episode, that they're going to get rid of divisions in 2023. They didn't really say it that way. They just said that we're going to make sure that everybody plays everybody over the course of three years. But what they said was, yeah, the Atlantic and the Coastal, they're not working for us either. We're going to do what the Pac-12 does. What I'm, I mean, Big 12's been doing this for years and got penalized for it, right? Or so they thought. So they went to round robin and was like, fine, uh, let's, let's do it this way. I also thought it was interesting that we're talking about ACC and the Pac-12 removing divisions. We expect the SEC will remove divisions, but they're still working on how they want to integrate Oklahoma and Texas into future doings. But we're not talking about the Big Ten removing divisions. And I think that conference has the most to gain by eliminating divisions right now. I'm not particularly enthusiastic about seeing another Wisconsin-Ohio State game. I am enthusiastic about seeing Ohio State-Michigan round two. That would be a lot of fun. I am enthusiastic about Ohio State versus Penn State for the championship, or even Iowa versus Nebraska, which is a made-up rivalry, but a rivalry nonetheless. You know, I'd be, I would like to see it. You know, I'm, I'm here for Michigan versus Michigan State. Let's redo the land grant. Like, there are ways to do this, or not the land grant, that is Michigan State and Penn State, my fault. But that that interstate rivalry, 
There are ways to do this that I think benefit them. I'm leaning towards they're going to do this at some point. It's about when and how, right? Kevin Warren's a smarter man than I am. That he's This is his job to try to sort out with his partners, which are the university presidents and chancellors. But I'm looking forward to them saying, hey, we're going to do what most everybody else is going to do. And we're just going to get the divisions out of the way so that, one, we give people the games they want to see for conference championships and conference championship games ought to matter. And two, we have a better chance of putting not one, but two teams in the college football playoff at a time when the SEC is getting larger as it has dominated the sport since 2006. Feels like a win, especially for a conference that I think is the second best conference in all of college football to the SEC itself and might have a run for the best conference in sports. Now, the SEC still has something to do with that, especially coming off this win in the Men's College World Series with Ole Miss. But, like, I mean, you're adding Oklahoma and Texas, and Oklahoma brings its softball and its gymnastic tradition with it in addition to football and what baseball has been able to do. So, again, help yourself, Big Ten. Help yourself. From that Big Ten issue to the Ohio State, where we're going to discuss our diamond in the rough. Got some snappy animation that I'm very excited about. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm not as excited about it as Producer Cat is. Producer Cat was very excited about this animation and this segment because this is a segment that was created in large part because I make a habit of being out in front of stories and, and people that I feel like are going to be great. Uh, our first Diamond in the Rough feature was Aaron Graves, who's the best high school football player maybe ever out of the state of Iowa. Max Preps National Player of the Year and quite literally a football player I think Kirk Ferentz you know, made in a lab because he's perfect for what they do and how they want to play. I'm excited to see how he develops over the next two, three years. Their defensive line is very deep, but I think he'll figure into the rotation, but still only for four games because Kurt Ferentz has made his living on, no, we're redshirting you and we're going to make you larger and then we're going to compete. Same thing that Dave Clawson does at Wake Forest, who also might be pretty doggone good along with NC State and the ACC. Okay, so for our diamond in the rough this week, I want to talk about Buckeyes wide receiver Brian Hartline. I wrote about Brian Hartline at FoxSports.com last week, in addition to Arch Manning's commitment, where we, you know, I was way ahead on that, so we got to re-up that piece. But Hartline is a guy that I have had my eyes on for the last four years, see what he does at Ohio State, which I thought was always going to be a tough place to recruit wide receivers at, because Ohio State has not been a place that has built its image on throwing the football. Far from it, in fact. Archie Griffin won two Heisman trophies as a tailback. Eddie George won a Heisman trophy as a tailback over a Tommy Frazier that many people thought should have won it himself. But Orlando Pace also had a claim as an offensive lineman to the Heisman trophy. That is what Ohio State has done. Before Dwayne Haskins, RIP, was selected by the Washington football team, in the first round, the last Ohio State quarterback to get that honor was Art Schleter in like 1982. That's not what they do. And it's a little bit better for wide receivers, but not a lot. Like I can point to a lot of great wide receivers at Ohio State, but not a lot of dudes that had a lot of production at Ohio State. I'll give you an example here. Santano, Santonio Holmes, great receiver. Didn't put up a bunch of numbers. Right? Give you another example. Chris Gamble went both ways. Brian Hartline. He's pretty doggone good. Anthony Gonzalez, he was good, right? Ted Ginn Jr., he was good. I keep going here. Terry McLaurin, K.J. Hill. My goodness, uh, Michael Thomas, you know? But none of those dudes, save Anthony Gonzalez and I think it's Ted Ginn, were selected in the first round of the NFL draft. And then this year, we had Chris Olave, who was a three-star recruit that they developed in their first-round draft pick, and Garrett Wilson, who was not just a five-star recruit, but was Picked Ohio State over Texas because he told everybody straight up and down, I want to go where I'm going to be developed. And they developed him into a first-round draft pick. And I'm not going to count Jamison Williams in their boat because that man ended up at Alabama and did everything he did at Alabama. But there are people that would count Jamison Williams in Ohio State's boat because of what he was developed into. And he was the third-best wide receiver at Ohio State. And the best wide receiver at Ohio State right now is Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was behind Jamison Williams at the time. But it felt like JSN was going to make the leap over Williams. And Williams ended up at Alabama where he became that dude that could return kicks and go deep and really turn them into the kind of down-the-field offense that they always like to be. 
Brian Hartline last week also got a five-star wide receiver at Cardinal Tate to commit on Monday. Got a five-star receiver in Brandon Ennis to commit on Tuesday. And got a four-star receiver in Noah Rogers to commit on Wednesday. Thursday, I wrote the piece. Okay? That, that's the number two, number three, and number nine receivers in the 2023 recruiting class. And as much good stuff as I've been saying about Texas, the number one recruiting class in 2023, as I sit here today, is Ohio State. Okay? A big part of that is what Brian Hartline has been able to add to a receiving room that is already so crucial. All right, so JSN, you know about. 1,606 receiving yards, 95 receptions. He's got those records. Like, he'll probably leave Ohio State as the best wide receiver to come out of there, not named Chris Carter. Might be better than Chris Carter. We'll have to wait and see what the pro football career looks like, but certainly at the college level. Then, until this year, been 15 years before you had a first-round draft pick. Then... You add to what he gets to run out in 2022. It's not just JSN. It's Julian Fleming, who was the number one wide receiver in the class of 2020. It's Emeka Egbuka, who was the number one wide receiver in the class of 2021. It's Marvin Harrison Jr., who has developed into a capable number two or even number three, right, depending on how you want to view Julian Fleming or Emeka Egbuka, and apparently has put on quite a bit of weight because that dude just keeps getting yoked up. Yes, that is the son of the Marvin Harrison Sr. who played for the Indianapolis Colts and was due making Peyton Manning look good. Yeah, I said it. All right. On top of all of that, right, you still got dudes down the depth chart that probably won't get to play. They're able to keep that core together because Brian Hartline has been able to demonstrate with Olave and Wilson, and now with JSN, quite honestly, that he can put wide receivers into the first round of the draft at Ohio State. Big part of that is also Ryan Day, who shouts to Urban Meyer, tabbed him, said, come in, run your offense. And he's like, hey, I don't run basketball on grass. I want to open up the offense. I like throwing the ball around. We'll be balanced, but I want to throw the ball around. And Urban said, do your thing, dog. So he tabbed Dwayne Haskins, who is was the antithetical Ohio State quarterback because he couldn't move. You're not looking at Dwayne Haskins and going, yeah, I expect that dude to uh, rip the ball out of the stomach of a tailback and go get me seven, eight yards. That's not JT Barrett. That's not Braxton Miller. That's not Darrell Pryor. You know? That's not even Craig Krenzel. That's a dude who looks the smoothest I've ever seen a man throw a football. Like, it just, it's just smooth. It looks so good. And it looks so good on him. And they ran that offense so well. So a big part of that is Ryan Day and the offense and then him being able to recruit. <laughs> My goodness. On top of Haskins, yeah, we'll pivot to Justin Fields. We'll give it. We'll, we'll pivot to 1A or 1B in the 2018 class, and then we'll pivot to C.J. Stroud, a dude that I found, right? Like C.J. Stroud before he got to Elite 11 or started going on tours, looking at Baylor, Kansas State, goes and tears Elite 11 a new behind, gets the offer from Ohio State. They already had Jack Miller in the boat, and ends up being the starter. He's keeping Kyle McCord on the bench. Kyle McCord is a great quarterback, and he'll get his chance, I'm sure. But Jack Miller looked around and said, "Now nah, I'm going to Florida. Think about that for a second. You had an Ohio State quarterback. Look at the depth chart once again and pick an SEC school. You would rather go to LSU, Joe Burrow, or Florida, Jack Miller, than compete for the job at Ohio State because you feel your chances of being the starter at an SEC school that has won a national championship this decade, gives you the best opportunity to play football. That's wild. Okay, that, that's why I'm talking so much great stuff about what they've been able to do at Columbus because they've really been that good. And Brian Hartline has been a great part out of that. So I was ahead on Marcus Freeman when he's defense coordinator at Cincinnati. I loved his energy. I loved how young he was. I loved the defense that he's running out because they could play. Brian Kelly says, yo, I listened to R.J. Young on the number one ranked show. I'm going to hire Marcus Freeman to be my defensive coordinator. And I'm like, hey, dog, that's not what I was really thinking about. And he's like, no, 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 no. I got you, RJ. I got you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put Notre Dame in a position to make the Fiesta Bowl, and then I'm going to dip out. I'm going to do what Joe Burrow and Jack Miller did. And I'm going to go to an SEC school, and I'm going to hand the reins to Marcus Freeman. That's not how I played out. I made that up. You know this, right, because you're, sm you're, 
you understand. You're smart. But point is, Marcus Freeman, head coach Notre Dame. Guess where Notre Dame ranks in recruiting right now? Dose. Number two. Right? I just... Brian Hartline has that sort of energy and has that sort of understanding. He's extremely smart. He played the game at a high level. He, like Marcus Freeman, comes out of Ohio State. He's being groomed to do the job by Ryan Day. Right? Kevin Wilson decides that he wants to step down. I love Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson made 2008 Oklahoma one of my favorite football teams ever. Right? But if he ever decides that he no longer wants to do this, I think that Brian Hartline's probably going to get a look if Corey Dennis doesn't, right, uh, quarterback's coach. But I'm also looking at that going, Hartline's going to have a decision, okay? He's going to have a decision here. Does he want to be like Ohio State's defensive line coach, a lifer, right, a dude that is the highest paid at his position and commands respect in the sport from aficionados like myself, and people that really, really are in the coaching community, or does he want to call his own plays and be his own boss? He's tailor-made for what Ohio State does, right? And there's a lot of guys that would line up for that job if Ryan Day decided he no longer wanted it. And I can't rule that out anymore because I didn't think Lincoln Riley would leave Oklahoma. It's not shade to you, Ohio State. I'm just saying I'm, I'm recognizing that men change up. You know, divorce rates tell us that, if nothing else. But Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, Brian Hartline, I can keep going out of my way to point out other dudes that would be not just say yes to that job, but be great at doing it. Luke Fickle proved that, right? He had the job for a little bit before going to Cincinnati. He's building something else there, and they've since tried to tie him up. But I'm really interested to see what Brian Hartline is able to do this year with that receiving core, what that means for him down the line. Because wide receiver coach to coordinator is not usually a leap that we get to see a whole bunch of. Some of those guys get the co-coordinator title, but it's not as often as I would like to see them become coordinators. Like Holman Wiggins still wide receiver coach at Alabama. He could have any coordinator job he wanted. Uh, Brendan Marion is a former coordinator at Howard. He's a wide receiver coach now. I think he's going to want to be a coordinator somewhere else, right? Dennis Simmons has tied himself to Lincoln Riley. I think he could be a coordinator or head coach wherever he wanted, right? It's like that. It's just it's just a weird position that way. Kind of like running backs coach. I don't see too many running back coaches that become head coaches overnight, right? Running backs coaches are usually peak recruiters, right? I think that Brian Hartline has a little bit more ambition than Ohio State fans want to give him credit for. But I also think he's very happy. And I'm not rooting for somebody to pluck him. I am rooting for him to get everything that's coming to him. Just like I was rooting for Marcus Freeman to get everything that was coming to him. I really, really am excited to see who Brian Hartline is and becomes in the next five to ten years. Okay. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one ranked show. This will be our last college football show on the number one ranked show until July 19th. We're going to flood the space with interviews from coaches and players as soon as we take the number one ranked show on the road for Big 12 Media Days. Uh, Big Ten Media Days and Pac-12 Media Days. And I'm sure we'll have a lot of preseason content. I don't know. I might even make an appearance on the lot in Los Angeles like I did last year. But again, we're going to be off for a couple weeks. We'll come back. We'll hit you with that new hotness. And we'll give you what you need. Also, be sure to check us out at the USFL Championship game where we'll be live from Canton, Ohio at Tom Benson Pro Football Hall of Fame. Very excited about that making my second trip ever to Canton, Ohio, and probably my second trip to Pro Football Hall of Fame, if I'm being honest about it. All right. Uh, My thanks, as always, to our lead producer. That is Catherine Donnelly. Our associate producer is Tyler Wojak. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. And I'm the host. We will see y'all in a couple of weeks. Deuces.